Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. One of the first investing books that I ever read was called The Millionaire Next Door. I think it's one of the shortest investing books, which maybe is what caught my eye. But the fact that a millionaire could be living next door to me was something that appealed to me as like an 18-year-old when I first read the book. On today's show, we got a very special guest, El Jefe himself, Glenn James from My Millennial Money. If you don't listen to that, I'd give it a little listen. Just kidding. He is the big boss. And he has graciously joined us today. We're going to go over the millionaire next door, and we're each going to share five tips because according to him, he has read more than the introduction. So it's going to be a good episode. Stick with us. You are listening to My Millennial Investor, the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Today is a fun episode. We've got Glenn James from My Millennial Money on with us. Glenn, welcome to America. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. And I'm pumped to speak to my old audience. Although there was a review does, on iTunes. Does anyone I, remember Glenn? Did, did I show you the review on iTunes? They're like, the new host is really good. Glenn was really boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so reviewer, if you're listening, I'm sorry. Stick with us. Uh, we will try to spring some life into Glenn. I have him fully caffeinated on Ohio's best coffee, and we're ready to talk about the millionaire next door. Glenn, when do you when did you first read this? Oh, I reckon it would have been about two thousand and four. Oh wow, or five. I would have been sixteen or something, right? <laughs> yeah, not quite. I would have been about twenty five years old. And were you was that when you were a financial advisor as a profession or did I, this book spring you into that? No, I, I think I was working in a financial advisor's office uh, and still having an interest in personal finance. Okay. Yeah. So really you were good like book. The, yeah. the paralegal of the financial Yeah, I was a paraplanner. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So The Millionaire Next Door. It's written by Thomas Stanley and he analyzes the common traits and habits of millionaires. And here are Nick Bradley. And Glenn James, top 10 takeaways. Glenn, why don't you take number one? All right. So my first kind of real lesson uh, in kind of reading the book was, you know, most, a very, very, very high percentage of the millionaires that were surveyed in the book live very modestly. Uh, Many millionaires do not live extravagant lifestyles and they live in modest homes and drive used cars. And one of the things that stuck out to me in the book was they would say, you know, if you move to a really premium town, you'll end up spending more money because you might have a bigger yard, so there might be more yard upkeep. Yeah, in the States, we call it keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the quote-unquote wealthy people next door, you know, high income, probably high debt and high expenses, you know, driving nice European cars and you've got your old Corolla that you'll just slowly want to upgrade and... And the premise in the book about most millionaires living in everyday suburbia don't get caught up in um, that type of thing and lifestyle inflation and all that stuff. Yeah, there's a local bank here. It's actually in Ohio. And years ago, they did this ad that made me think of what you were talking about. 
Uh, it's like this investments banker guy in the ad, and he's you know wears a suit, and all of his buddies are walking to the car park, and they, the one guy gets in his Mercedes, the one guy gets in his Porsche, and they're like, all right, see you, Tim. And they pull away these fancy cars, and he gets in his like 1981 Honda Corolla, and he's like, I've got bigger Toyota Corolla, mate. Toyota Corolla. And he's like, I've got bigger dreams than driving a fancy car. It's mm. like he is living like that principle number one. Yeah, so that's kind of – that really did stick out to me because most quote-unquote millionaires, uh, the celebrities and all that stuff, the Gucci belts and bags and all that stuff that you see online and a lot of these millionaires that were surveyed just do not live like that. Yeah. What have you got there? Yeah, one of my first things, obviously I this is an investing podcast, so I'll talk about the investing aspect – so one of the things that I remember sticking out besides like that frugal lifestyle, and frugal doesn't have to be like a bad word. To me, frugal is like it's equivalent to smart, right? You're mm-hmm. living that frugal lifestyle. The average millionaire knows that investing is key. Like if you want to succeed in life, you can't save your way to financial freedom. It's not possible. You have to be investing your money. You have to be looking to the future, and you have to trust the historical track record of the stock market, invest in broad index-based companies, and just let time happen. Like if you have a diverse portfolio, which you can do with one fund, like I did an episode a little bit ago about the three fund portfolio. Mm. Something as simple as three funds. You've got an equity fund, an international fund, and a bond fund. As long as you just keep investing in those funds, the millionaires from this book, the habits that they invested, kept it simple, and they knew investing was more important than saving. My next point that I really learned as a kind of key theme was that budgeting was essential. They were on top of their money. They knew what was coming in, what was going out. They tracked what they spent. Now, they did make sure that they were not overspending. So a question in your life, can you look back over the last, say, two or three months at your spending plan or bank statement to see if you overspent in one area? Because a lot of these millionaires were on top of that. Now, I don't know about you, Nick, but I hate the word budget. I was going to say it's, budget. Yeah, it's so restrictive. It's like, yeah. don't tell me what to do. So, and you don't even use that word, do you? No. I Well, I've got a spending plan. So I don't use a zero-based budget because life is fluid and I've just got a structure. Money comes in. It gets distributed. There's no point budgeting X amount a week for groceries because one week I might not need to buy dishwasher tablets, which yeah. are about $500. And by zero base, you mean you don't have every penny accounted no. for? No. Okay. No. I've got a fluid spending plan, uh, cash hub, automatic bill payments, different amounts go in. Life is fluid. I think your budget should be fluid. And it's all about making a system that works for you. If you do want a zero base budget and give every single dollar a name and get it allocated, knock yourself out for the personalities like me, uh-uh. But the key thing is I've got a system. I know where money's going. I don't really care about how much I've spent, but I do look for trends and if I have overspent, but just refining my spending plan, looking at it every month or so, it keeps me on top of it. So you get results with what you pay attention to. So that was one thing that uh, all the millionaires did. They did have some type of budget system. Yeah, thinking about this being a little bit of an older book, one of the things that is like pretty highly touted in the book is how important education is. Mm. And that's a little different, right? Like, so I'm 40, you look 45, but you're 32, <laughs> somewhere along those lines. Yeah. And like for us, it's, it was almost cool to be the college dropout, right? So you're mm. thinking of like, you know, Bill Gates, Elon Musk. So because the book is a little bit older, it was actually a little bit interesting how much they were like hyping up education is important. 
And I do think education is important. It just might look a little different for us right now, like especially with things like chat GPT coming around, like YouTube. Never used it. <laughs> like I have flipped houses using YouTube as my guide. And I literally could barely swing a hammer prior to, but persistence and YouTube education has really helped some of my financial story. I've gained some financial independence by educating myself with YouTube. So they, I don't think, had that in the mindset. Like they were really thinking college and find a mentor. But the principle of education being important is timeless. We're obsessed with hearing the stories of the guru, right? Like the Bill Gates or the Michael Dell or the Elon Musk, guys that like dropped out of college and like didn't need education. That's a false sense of security. Like these people are educated. They just may not have some formal degree of education. Yeah. In the book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money, I did talk about an attitude or a posture of ongoing learning and education. Now, this isn't, I'm always enrolled in a university degree, 25-8, it's that mindset of I'm keeping my brain active by learning. If you see an online course about growing plants, awesome. Get in there, keep inspired. I think the difference may be, are you doing a learning exercise to advance your skills for your career or doing a learning exercise as a hobby? I think both are good for your brain and you know being plugged in and all that. Uh, and it probably depended on what stage of your career you're at. Yeah. Uh, but I think, yeah, that fundamental thing about they were dialed in and educated. Warren Buffett's right-hand man, Charlie Munger, says he reads a book every day. A book every day. Mm. He's got some time. All right. So the fourth point was education. Look, my next point, there was a common thread of entrepreneurship. So many of the millionaires were self-made entrepreneurs. They started their own business. And, you know, most quote-unquote wealthy people that you know, Nick, they're either business owners or high-income medical professionals, something like that. Yeah. Is that a fair comment here in the States? And even, it's like I hang out with like the the sales professionals. In sales, you can make a lot of money. Absolutely. But like the next level up for my sales professional friends are the entrepreneurs that have worked hard, they've worked their butts off, and they've they're still working their butts off. They're not coasting. Like I think entrepreneurship is a lifestyle. And when you really put yourself out there, it becomes how you're feeding yourself. So you never stop. And yeah, those people are the wealthiest of all the people I know that are business owners. And I reckon the whole thing about the entrepreneurial mindset and the type of millionaire next door was they were comfortable with risks. They got used to taking risks but they ultimately took a calculated risk. Yeah, I like how you're just gleaning principles from the book when you are the entrepreneur millionaire next door. If you're listening to this podcast from, uh, where do you live, Newcastle? Yeah, Newcastle, yeah. (laughs) Glenn James could be your millionaire next door. I may well be. Listen, I know you pushed your book and you're talking about how you're making your money, but I need to do a quick ad break. So we'll cut with the other five right after this. 
now that we've paid some bills to keep you in a job, what have you got for the next point? Yeah, actually, I mean, I led into it. You made me talk about it. Connecting with high net worth salespeople, connecting with and befriending entrepreneurs. I guess the formal word that is used in the book is networking. Mm. Like if you are going, I hate that word though. That's <laughs> because I don't. Yeah, it's it got has, a sleazy it's got connotation a to it. Yeah. Like, yeah, you almost yeah. feel like a used car salesman. Yeah. yeah. But it it can be so natural. Like you want to find people that are going to make you better, mm. and that really feeds into I think the the constant education. Like I have friends that are all pursuing like financial independence. They're trying to be better off. They're trying to create generational wealth for their kids. And these aren't like, these are the millionaires next door. Like these are people who they're not extravagant. They don't own yachts. Like they're just planning and they're focused and they're hard workers. And I surround myself with them because I know they're going to make me better at the same time. Yeah. I reckon it's so important to be around like-minded people. So if you remove the word networking, if you're interested in personal finance, for example, can you go to personal finance meetups? If you're interested in owning your own business and doing all that stuff, can you join a Facebook group and actually get connected? I have it in Australia. There's a group called BNI. Have you heard of that? No. It's like a networking group. I don't like that vibe because it's manufactured. Yeah. So they get kind of a group that might only have 20 people in each region and there's like one solicitor only, one accountant only, one lawnmower only, one pest control person only, yeah. like one graphic designer only and the whole thing is you refer to each other. I think it is a bit of a false economy but hey, if the shoe fits, knock yourself out but you've got to be around like-minded people. Yeah, I met with a, a young guy the other day. He's done well. Um, you know, him and I had crossed paths and. It had been a couple of years and we caught lunch and it was a good time. And he's He like has this naive view of the world and it's so wonderful. He looks me in the eye over lunch and he goes, do you know any CEOs I can network with? <laughs> and I was like, CEOs that you can network with? Like that's a big jump from like, I don't know where I'm starting to like, do you know the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? It's like, you, but that's also, as you're building your network, maybe scale it up a little bit. But that's also a lesson in reading a room. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and self-awareness. That's funny. The next point, point seven, which should be taken as read this point, but hard work was necessary. Yeah. You know, I love a book called Success and Luck uh, by Robert Frank. He's a professor at um, Princeton, um, Cornell, I think, one of them. Anyway, I've had him on the podcast. But it's this whole thing with like, and who who was the... Famous person was like, the harder I work, the luckier I get type thing. Yeah, like overnight success is never overnight. Yeah, like there is this element of hard work. And you, I reckon if we unpack this point, like it's working hard on the right thing. And I hate the hustle culture. I think that's rubbish because, you know, hustle culture is like, how can I sign up my nan to Amway? Like, yeah, yeah no. But once you're on your right track... You've started your own business. You've started your side gig. You've, you know, you might be in sales and you're an employee, but you love the sales role. How do you go? All right, I'm on the right track. I'm going to work hard and it be fruitful. Now, there's a difference between I work at a call center and it's just a job for me. I don't want to progress my career here. You got to work hard while you're at work, but there's that difference with. I've dialed into the thing that I'm here for, passionate about, and running at that. If you work at a call center, here is my PSA, my public service announcement. 
continue your education now because I feel that AI is coming for your job. Mm. I'm not anti-AI. I think AI is going to create more jobs than it takes away. But I was just chatting with an AI the other day on, I had to redo it. Like a package got sent to the wrong house. And I was like, they were like, hey, call us. I'm like, call? Like I physically have to use my voice and talk to someone. So I got into their chat and I chatted with someone for a few minutes. And they said, okay, we're almost through. Let me connect you to a human to fix your problem. And it was an AI the whole time. So the AI triaged the thing. They basically just needed the human to say yes. Right. So like the AI solved all the problem. And I'm not downing you on call center. I work, my first job as a college graduate was in a call center. Yeah. But like public service announcement, if you're in a call center, keep educating yourself because mm. AI is probably the cream of the crop there. Eighth point, Nico. Yeah, avoid debt. You know, like this one, I've talked before in different podcasts about debt has been like a big part of my financial journey and getting rid of that debt. And if you can avoid it, you don't have to get rid of it. Mm. So I think this already feeds into what they talked about, you know, buying used cars. So if you buy a three-year-old used car with 30,000 kilometers on it, you're going to be better off than buying a brand new car and having it depreciate because a new car, you're going to have a seven-year loan and maybe a used car, you can only have a three-year loan. Mm. Or if you've really saved enough, you can save ahead of time and buy the car with cash. But avoid debt as much as possible. If you have high interest credit card debt, it is going to be hard to save or invest your way out of there. Keep your lifestyle simple, avoid debt. Let's move on. Yeah. The ninth point that I wanted to make was around, and it feels like we're kind of going backwards, but you know, these aren't really in any particular order. They prioritized saving and having a good cash foundation uh, because when the going gets tough, you want to make sure there's a bit of a gap between you and the world. And, you know, if you were investing, as you know, one of your first points was, you know, they're always investing. Yeah. If the worst happened, you don't ever want to have to draw down three months worth of income yeah. to fund a, a hole in your life. Yeah, I did an episode on FIRE, which is like financial independence, retire early. And the, the story was about this one guy, Tom Engel, and he was like the world's best FIRE investor. And he always had this baseline savings for one, if things really hit the fan, like because he was always investing and living off his investments for almost 40 years. So if really bad market, let's say like a 2021 happens, 2022, things are hitting the fan. Like he's got savings. He isn't worried. He's the millionaire next door. And then when things get really bad, he dips into that savings and invests more because he sees the opportunity at his doorstep. And I bet he's doing very well right now with the current bear market climate. Yeah. So it is that, you know, they were cash heavy. They had emergency funds. They weren't living on the line. Yeah. And that's the kind of, you've got to get to the point in your financial life where you are not living on the line. And the line looks different for a lot of people, but how can you make it so you're not living on the line? Yeah. And this last point, point number 10, Glenn, I know you live it out. You just bought my Maccas. Is that what you say? Is that how you call McDonald's? Maccas. Maccas? Yeah. Uh, Be philanthropic. Mm. Um, (laughs) I don't know if buying someone a Maccas meal is being philanthropic. I'm trying to give you the benefit of the doubt there. Thank you. I I always like to look after the poor. Yeah, I think... When you listen to billionaires, when you listen to people ahead of you, they talk about giving. I don't know many cheap, stingy, non-giving, non-philanthropic people. Like what are Bill and Melinda Gates doing right now? They are running the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation trying to make the world a better place. Like they're invested in philanthropic adventures. Mr. Beast, one of the rich, he's going to be the first billionaire created from YouTube. He has a philanthropic organization that he spends almost as much time as his crazy videos. There is this thread within uber wealthy people 
that giving back, and it says in the book, like the people are giving money and like the money that comes back to them, they don't miss that money that they're giving. So maybe there's some sort of universal principle about giving and the rich have figured it out. Mm. So real quick, before we close things up, the 10 points from Millionaire Next Door. Again, I do the work, so you don't have to. Most we mil- do the work in this episode. Yeah, Glenn, Glenn did help out this one. Most millionaires live modestly. Budgeting is essential. Investing is key. Education is important. Entrepreneurs are common among the thread. Work hard. Hard work doesn't stop. You need to be networking. Avoid debt. Prioritize your savings. And remember to give some of that money away. Glenn, thanks for joining us. You're raising your finger like you've got something to say. I've got something to say. Do we want to close it out with some anecdotal comments after reading the book? Just an on-balance thing. Has it? Have you did? Have you done something in your life after reading the book recently? Um, not after my most recent read. Yeah. Um, I, as you've seen, I drive a older used car. My car is from 2016, and this episode is recorded in 2023. In case you're listening from the future, so it's what it's a couple years old now. And it only feels a couple years old. Like, you don't need to be going crazy. Um, I try not to let lifestyle creep sneak in. I'm not trying to keep up with the Joneses. And I'm just trying to invest and invest and invest and make that as much as a priority as my wife will let me. Mm, Yeah. I just think it's one of those books. And I think if you want something a bit more current, Dave Ramsey or, you know, the Ramsey group did... Um, a recent commission similar. Research on it, yeah. Yeah, I think they did 10,000 millionaires as well and, you know, very similar results. But this is just such a classic, right? Yeah. I just think it's so healthy to be encouraged by this stuff. And I mean, yeah, for me, my biggest issue is probably inflation creep, lifestyle creep. But I've just had to have checks and balances so it doesn't get that way. Like any extra money that comes in, whether it's a book royalty or something unexpected that I don't need, quote unquote, it gets straight invested, put to work. Like I would like another watch, a really good one. There's one that I've got an eye on and everyone's encouraging me, oh, you should get it. You've worked hard. I'm like, I don't need to spend a lot of money on another watch. Like I just don't because sure, I would like it one day. Maybe it could be a milestone thing. You can make it a goal. Like it is, if I do X, Y, Z, Mm. If, you know, maybe you want to grow the podcast. Yeah, if Nick too. Bradley grows my millennial investor and it makes lots of money, yeah, I'll then, buy a watch, another watch. And, and then in the spirit of the philanthropic endeavors, you'll give it to me. Sounds good. Hey, do you want to end the episode? And we'll come back after you end the episode and we'll do an after party because I think you owe people an update. Oh, no. On our investing endeavors? Yeah. So thanks, Glenn, for joining us. You've been listening to My Millennial Investor the show where I search the financial world for the most up-to-date investment ideas, market trends, and income streams, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Nick Bradley. Glenn James has been joining us today. We'll see you next week. This podcast is produced and published by Oregon Trail Investor in the USA. All information is for entertainment purposes only. The brand My Millennial Investor is used under license. So, Nick, this is your first after party on your podcast. Yes, it is. So, for those who may be new to the podcast, what's the experiment 
that we were doing. Yeah, so this is our update. So we... You called me like Christmas Eve last year. And uh, like I actually looked money. it up. It was, it was oh. like around American Thanksgiving time. So November-ish, end of November. I'm fat on tryptophan and turkey and mashed potatoes. And I thought, said, you know, it'd be fun. <laughs> this one guy that I follow on YouTube, it's hyping his like investment stock plan. And it really has, I will say, has built a good community of smart like day trader type people. And I'm not a day trader by any means. I am a fairly boring investor that wants to dabble in the dark arts of day trading. So I thought this could be fun. So I call you and I say, hey, let's let's each put some money in and let's follow this dude's tips as well as possible. Like I will do all the work because, I mean, heaven forbid, right? So I'll do all the work. He'll send like the, I get a text message saying, hey, here's a trade that I'm thinking about doing because... It's not financial advice. He's just telling people what he's doing. And you can look at his portfolio and he's making these trades. So like it's it's up to snuff as up to snuff can be. So I thought, you know, it'd be fun if we did this for a year and we tracked it and we see how much money this guru, the stock picker can make us. Did we tell, I think we said to everyone, we put 20 grand in. Yeah, we each put in 10,000 US. US dollars. God, and that killed me with the exchange rate, but whatever. Not a lot of fun. It only kills you until you see how much we're doing. Exactly. So January 1st, we started following these tips. Obviously, like the market opened, I think, on the 3rd. And what happens is like, I'm just living my life. You know, I'm doing my thing. I got my phone on vibrate. And then, bloop, you know, you get this message. And it's like, okay, let me let me pull one up actually as I do this. So you, uh, there's different categories, but you might get something like this. Day trade alert. There is a semi-risky opportunity here on the ES, which is the futures exchange on the S&P 500. It has been in a downtrend since making market highs at 10 a.m. We fell to the weekly open and had a fake breakout of market structure before continuing down, yada, yada, yada. Then there's a chart and it says, I would enter at the price 4129 with your stop at 4132 Hopefully you're taking profit at Friday's close of 4082 So the jargon out of that is you're entering at 4129 You're shorting the market. You think that the S&P 500 is going down and you should make... 4129 minus 4082 times 100. So if this trade played out, it's a $5,000 trade of profit. So you're, Glenn, you're winching. Is that a safe word to say? Winging. Winging. Mm. <laughs> I picture like a winch. Yeah. About the hit you took from going from Australian dollars to American dollars. So this text comes through at 12.07 p.m. right when I am probably in line at Popeye's wanting to get a spicy chicken sandwich. They're not a sponsor, but boy, do they make delicious chicken. So I don't see this text because this is real world, right? Until like 1228. And guess what? By 1224, another text has already been sent out. That move was quick. We missed it. It's already fulfilled. So had I actually placed that trade, we'd be up $5,000. 2500 each. The last update we did in January, you missed a heap because you were busy with your kids or something. Yeah, yeah. You know, having the thing I've learned so far in the quarter, now I, I will say it's young. We have only just got through quarter one of 2023. It's been a little bit of a wild year. There are still three full quarters ahead of us. So the update for everyone who is keen to know how much money we're going to make or lose is yeah. that there's been no... I, oh, no. Okay. I have I've engaged in some trades. Have you placed any? Our $20,000 is currently $19,300. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But here's the good news. I got us down to 18,500, and I've crawled us back to 19.3. Wow. So we're on an uptrend. Wow. Do you so, remember what you guessed at the beginning of the year of what our end of the year total is going to be? I did not want 100% return, like 40,000. You wanted 40. I, yeah. said, I said I think we'll have 30. Yeah, okay. So we'll get, we'll get nine months. Better get chopping, my friend. I mean, you're not telling people that I was traveling, I was doing some things, I'm super dad, I'm watching my two and five-year-old son. I don't son. care. I put money in and I want double it back. And now I'm back more in the office. I just got a huge 32-inch screen to double monitor and make sure things happen. We at least got to make our $2,000 buy price back of the program. Next update, I'm going to give you the Nick Bear the Guarantee. We're at $22,000. There you go, everyone. You've heard it. So from what we're saying is not much of an update. We're down 700 bucks. Yeah. Not including the $2,000 buy into this schmucks program. Correct. Right, right, right. Well, we'll see you in three months for a more interesting update. All right. Thanks for having me on your podcast today. How do you end the after hours party? You have music? No, no, it just ends. We just stop it. We just stop it. Okay, bye.